Hey, this is Jonas Seifert from Boson Protocol, the decentralized commerce ecosystem where all participants share in the value they create. And if you want the best info on the top 1% in NFTs today and what will stand the test of time, you should be listening to the Edge of NFT podcast with my good friends, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Jenny, and Josh Krieger. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Okay, we're all here at the edge of NFT and ready to dive in. Ethan, who's joining us for today's journey? Today's episode features guest Jonas Seifert, who is the head of strategy at Boson Protocol, a decentralized commerce ecosystem where all participants share in the value they create. Boson Protocol automates digital to physical redemptions with minimized arbitration using NFTs encoded with game theory. Jonas, welcome. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for the effort with the last name. <laughs> How do, <laughs> do we do, best. Jonas? Part of my favorite hobby here is, is listening to Ethan try to pronounce names. Do you do okay today? I never heard actually someone really trying to pronounce it in the German way. So I think, I think that's an A for effort, definitely. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> it's the thought that counts. Yeah. It's a nice way of saying you really F that one up, Ethan. <laughs> 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 nice. Well, well, let's uh, improve upon our, our initial start here, Jonas, and, and get to know you and, and what Boson Protocol is all about. Now, you guys connect the real world with the meta world. Can you walk our listeners through how that actually works? Yeah. So what we're doing there is what we call kind of digital to physical commerce. So today, if you want to buy any kind of digital on-chain good, that's kind of automated and trustless, right? So if you buy an NFT on any platform, you don't have to trust that platform necessarily. It's just going through a smart contract and you have these nice guarantees that in the end, you will receive the NFT you buy or you want to buy, right? And what we're solving with kind of digital to physical commerce is how do you get to the same thing for a real world physical goods? So in e-commerce, you have this fundamental problem of fundamental basic trust problem, which is if I want to sell this item to you, right, be it in the metaverse, in a virtual world or an online store, uh, how can buyer and seller, how can I trust you that you're actually going to send me this item if I give you the money, right? And today we solve this with centralized platforms that take on this risk and trust and mediate these transactions. And what we want to accomplish with kind of what we're doing with our core exchange mechanism and NFTs encoded with game theory is that we enable people to buy and sell things online without relying on a third party, same how you can create your NFT today or buy and sell NFTs without really relying on, on trusting a third party. So right, just as a follow-up to that, like right now, if I buy something on Amazon and let's say it doesn't show up or something like that, I'll go and I'll complain and it didn't show up, but maybe they have some record that they shipped it. But I think typically what they do is, is kind of what they do with like credit card companies. Like they just chalk it up to the cost of doing business. They maybe just send you a second one or something like that. 
And so are you saying kind of the platform that's being built or the ecosystem that's being structured here is going to sort of delete the need for that kind of like, I'll send you a second item? Or is it just that it will help facilitate that? So it's more about uh, exactly what you said. It's kind of Amazon's business model that they create this trusted environment and get through to like these network effects. And that you can just buy carelessly on Amazon because you know if it doesn't show up, you can just go to Amazon, complain, and they will make you whole, right? And this kind of introduces a lot of problems because then you have like Amazon as like the kind of building this monopoly through this role. What we're saying is instead of buyer and seller basically having a centralized party uh, facilitating the transaction, having their trust, you have um, an escrow contract, kind of a smart contract in the middle that uh, facilitates that trust between buyer and seller, and there is no third party involved. So it's just the buyer and the seller and the smart contract. So this is not fundamentally kind of a platform model. You can think of it more of a kind of a core, like primitive that can be used then by everyone wanting to buy and sell physical things. Got it. Now, now you mentioned this in your previous response, and, and I'm really curious about it. Can you tell our listeners, what is an NFT encoded with game theory? What, what does that mean? So the fundamental way we achieve kind of this, let's say, trust minimize exchange of real world things is that we don't try to tokenize real world assets. This has been kind of a, if you think back at 2017 approach, a lot of projects try to tokenize real world goods and are still doing it today. And that, that is just quite challenging. And if you, if you get to it, it can be quite expensive. So what we do is we tokenize the commitment, kind of a promise to exchange something. And we do that in the form of an NFT. So as a seller, when you uh, create an offer for an item, you create a what we call a commitment NFT, which is basically the promise of saying whoever buys that NFT, they have this IOU then basically promise saying whoever holds that NFT then can redeem it for the real world thing. So these are kind of the NFTs and the game theory comes in with the rules by which the exchange is governed. So um, you have this commitment NFT and then it gives you kind of this IOU gives you the right to interact with this escrow contract and call certain actions in this escrow contract, the rules that facilitate the exchange. So this, this might be something like signing for redemption, right? So if you, if you want to get the item, you call redeem and only the person with the NFT can call redeem. And then in the next step, let's say something goes wrong, you want to complain, only the person with the NFT can call complain. And based on these actions, the outcome of this game between buyer and seller, what they get back from their deposits and their payment is different. So this is kind of the NFTs encoded with game theory concept in a nutshell. It's NFTs that tokenize kind of an IOU, kind of a promise to exchange something, and the game theory then facilitating that exchange. So if I buy an NFT as a gift for somebody else and it transfers ownership, does the ability to sort of do these functions that you mentioned also transfer? Yeah, exactly. So this is then kind of the nice property where you could buy an NFT for, let's say, a real world sneaker, and then you could just resell it. Just the, you could resell basically this commitment NFT and the next person that you resold it to can then uh, get the sneaker, right? So it almost is like we call it kind of futures markets for everything that you then, then create. Like you can then trade these claims and whoever holds these, the, the, the claim in the end can kind of redeem it for the thing it, it promises. 
you know, I, I saw a recent tweet uh, from Boson that $30 trillion in opportunity are lost because smart contracts cannot exchange real-world things. Can you dive a little bit deeper into kind of the economic opportunity, and does that mean that Boson is like a, a you know, $30 trillion market cap potential business, or is that sort of just how the ecosystem could be monetized um, eventually? And if you don't know, that's fine as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's kind of 30 trillion is, is like the big number of the whole industry that this is facing, right? What I think is really important about this is in the comparison, it's kind of like, let's say, the banking system. So if you have a system that fundamentally relies on these institutions and kind of human institutions working properly, you lose a whole range of use cases and people that want to exchange that don't have access to these institutions. So this for instance, if you look at large parts of, or like North Africa, there isn't like big e-commerce players there, right? There isn't like, there isn't a real functioning Amazon in that sense that we have here. And so if you go from kind of institutions to automation, right, this opens up this whole possibility of things. And this is what we mean with the $30 trillion opportunity. All of a sudden, if you make it a more democratic open system where everyone has access to kind of these e-commerce capabilities, the kind of industry and the scope of the opportunity is very large. Oh, that's fascinating. And so when you look at the kind of value between person and company, you alluded to it before, like this, this question of trust. And do you see this as, as a, a cornerstone of, of what you're trying to do is to build that relationship and take it beyond how it exists today between the individual consumer and the companies they interact with? Yeah, I think what we're seeing a lot is that the relationship between kind of consumers and companies really changing in that way. So you see it right now with Pride Month, every company all of a sudden has like a political statement, right? And then you see like the extreme and the crypto world where you all of a sudden have like fashion DAOs, kind of community governed fashion brands. And what we think enabling kind of this trust minimized exchange of real world things without relying on a third party is that it becomes a way more direct connection to the brands you interact with. So if you think about something like marketplaces like Amazon and eBay, you don't really have a direct connection to the seller, but you have more of a connection to, to Amazon. And the sellers are mostly locked into this platform system. So we think once you kind of unbundle these platforms that are built on kind of building economic infrastructure and then locking people in, if you unbundle that, the relationship between companies and people and kind of the lines blurring, where people then kind of all of a sudden in their kind of fashion DAO can govern what t-shirt is the next t-shirt and all these stuff. So the lines will get blur more blurry and the interaction will be more direct, I think, between consumers and companies. Yeah, man, that's cool. Yeah, I think we always say like when we're building a company, we, we, we try to work with people and serve people who believe what we believe, you know, where we have this alignment around core values and, and the products we're offering and we see the value in it and that this takes it to a whole other level. That's very cool. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, you guys made the news with a big purchase in Decentraland, $704,000 for some virtual property. Did someone get fired for using their credit card for that one? Or how did that all come about? What's the deal there? <laughs> the private keys got in the wrong hands. Just kidding. No, so buying a plot of land in Decentraland is something we, we kind of look forward to for months. And it's not that easy to get kind of a big plot of land, right? So you have to find the right, right kind of deal. And why we do that is one that we see kind of 
the metaverse as a whole, this concept that you have all of a sudden these virtual worlds that are decentralized and more democratic in their ownership and decisions, rather than kind of gaming worlds today that are owned by one company, as really kind of one of the major next adoptions of crypto, if you see how many people are attracted to there. And why we bought this land then in specific is that we think there is this great opportunity for what we call metaverse commerce. So we're seeing more and more these like huge games that are like Fortnite and Roblox games that the gaming industry is bigger than kind of the whole entertainment industry combined. And we see that people want to start to kind of buy and sell real world things there. So what you've seen with Roblox kind of selling Gucci items in game, I think a few weeks ago. So what we're going to do in, in, in Decentraland with this plot of land is building virtual shopping experiences and allowing, allowing players in this virtual world to exchange real world items and just go shopping in a, in a true, truly virtual environment. So it might sound crazy spending 700,000 on kind of a virtual plot of land, but we're really confident in um, Decentraland and the team there and the adoption that's going to come. And then that just kind of metaverse commerce and kind of in-game buying of real world things is kind of major application that we can focus on. I mean, do you see this opportunity with Boson to actually replace the current e-commerce system altogether? Is that the direction we're going? We think, so we, we often talk about this larger concept of decentralized commerce and kind of written a lot of reports about this idea. And, and what we see Boson doing is building like a core primitive for that. What talked about a lot here, solving like the core trust problem between buyer and seller and these kind of execution guarantees. And we think once you have that, then you enable this whole ecosystem to flourish. So if you think of e-commerce today, it's really these platforms like Amazon that offer like a thousand services, right? Amazon has like reputation, identity and fulfillment centers and kind of it's these platforms offering a thousand services. And I think uh, to unbundle them, you need this whole ecosystem like we've seen with DeFi. So how we see Boson's role is kind of what stable coins are to decentralized finance, really kickstarting this environment. And then we think once you get there, unbundling e-commerce today with these blockchain primitives will become kind of become the way we, we exchange value online. And once we get there, it's going to be really, really fun, I think, because you're going to see all these new innovative ideas that have been solved by these major e-commerce platforms having this monopoly. So long-term, uh, same as how we're convinced or I'm convinced that kind of decentralized finance is going for the real-world financial stack, we're going for the real-world e-commerce stack with decentralized commerce. Yeah, man, it's coming, it's coming quick. Do you think the main interface exists today that we're going to use to participate in this ecosystem in a big way? Is it Google Glass type? things that's going to bring us into an augmented world? Is it VR? Is it either through uh, desktops and laptops or, or mobile? Or is there something that we just haven't, haven't hit yet that's going to provide that kind of an interface? In interface for kind of exchanging real world things or? Yeah. What's that tipping point where I can go into Decentraland and uh, really start buying things and feeling you know, like it's a, a part of my day-to-day -day life, man, where it's, it's normal, it's seamless, it's ubiquitous? Yeah, I think especially AR and VR are going to change kind of fashion shopping today, right? So it's kind of, I think, shopping for fashion today online is really counterintuitive. 
like you go on this website and then you scroll through 2D pictures and then you kind of read the descriptions of the sizes and you're not quite sure and then you get it and then you probably send it back because it's not the right size or it doesn't look as good. In comparison to what you see already in AR being used to kind of measure sizes, as well as this digital fashion concept where you then have kind of a digital representation that you could just wear and check out the item is I think where it's where it's fundamentally going. It's a way better shopping experience than clicking through some pictures. And so so I think how we shop online is is radically going to change, but radically going to change to more kind of virtual environments. But um, I wouldn't say that the classical clicking through kind of different offers in a normal kind of marketplace, uh, 2D marketplace is going away completely. But yeah, AR and VR are really exciting for this area. You've got companies like Deeper Network and Definity and even Helium that's sort of creating a, a, a no network of Internet of Things. How does what Boson Protocol is doing fit into these these other players? Are you having conversations with these guys? Are you do you see them as as partners along the way, or is your mission laser focused? So we have some conversations, not exactly with these kind of players in the Internet of Things space. We see kind of what we're doing, not interfacing completely with the Internet of Things blockchain intersection as it's kind of highly industry driven a lot and like very industry specific a lot. And then it doesn't. So what we're doing with kind of commitment NFTs in this escrow becomes interesting once you have kind of machine to machine commerce. This is also what we're talking about. But we kind of think we're really laser focused on just solving the hard problem for like real world humans. And then then once we solve that, I think we can think about IoT and, and the opportunity that comes there. I was curious, you know, to kind of follow up on on the integration with how all this works, right? Jeff and, and Josh helped build a, a really cool decentralized meal prep service, right? What does it look like for uh, their business to integrate with the Boson protocol type platform where now there's an exchange of you know, monetary value for a meal being delivered to somebody's home. Is that something that's achievable, relatively easy at this point, or does it kind of take a lot of setup or what's the process like? Like when you have food prepared for you because you're lazy or don't know how to cook and, uh, and you need something healthy to eat, you just kind of sign up for the service and it comes to your door when you need it. This is then kind of uh, sending you the ingredients or like the done meal? Actually making it for you. All you got to do is heat it up as far as I know. Yeah. I should probably check that out. Um, so <laughs> for, for, I think, yeah, for all these kinds of businesses where you have, where especially in the beginning, you want to give safety to users, right? Kind of give them the confidence that they can go on your website and just buy this meal without kind of knowing you. This will become become relevant um, relevant as well. So, and then it enables because we like the fee is sup, like super minimal that Boson Protocol kind of implements. It's better once you have certain crypto adoptions for the business than accepting kind of credit cards or PayPal. It's just from a business perspective cheaper. So, you know, when you think about the opportunity, it's huge, right? To interact with um, and build partnerships like we were just alluding to with a number of different folks, but. When you think about like game developers, 
right? Like in particular, and and this place where commerce is happening already, it's been happening even long before NFT became part of the vernacular. Like, what does that look like in your roadmap? Any projects you could tell us about that you're excited about that are forthcoming in that regard? I think if you have such a big challenge, right, such as e-commerce, we've seen a number of projects that that kind of also tackle this area. And if you kind of directly want to compete with existing e-commerce players like Shopify and Amazon, you're probably going to lose because you have kind of all this friction of interacting with crypto and the user experience is not 100% there. So what we're looking into is and, and working on our crypto native use cases. So one of them is kind of metaverse commerce. So these are people in these metaverses familiar with crypto, familiar with NFTs and wanting to exchange things. And then another one where we had a lot of conversations is real world NFT art. So you guys probably notice some artists just give kind of a physical counterpart to their NFTs sometimes, right? The physical artwork or a physical print of the digital artwork. And so we, we've been kind of exploring that space and in conversation with different marketplaces, uh, solving that problem for kind of NFT artists and, and NFT kind of enthusiasts that they can rely that they also get the physical piece without having to trust anyone really. So these kind of crypto native use cases are how we see giving the biggest advantage to users and driving adoption to that, that far that, that then we can tackle the mainstream use cases. So one thing I've been really excited about is this having a digital counterpart to a physical item, right? Imagine you buy kind of a jacket or a pair of sneakers, and then you also get that pair of sneakers as an NFT, and then you can kind of, you can attach that NFT, whatever, right? You can have it as a skin in some game. You could have exclusive access to some Adidas drop or, right? So once you kind of merge these lines between physical items, and NFTs and digital thing, digital goods, that's, I think, really interesting. And one thing we're also working on. I want my digital NFT of my pair of jeans to come with the pattern to how to make them so that when the brand changes the style the next season and I can't find jeans that fit me, I could just have them remade based on the digital, <laughs> the digital item that I own. From the jeans, uh, the jeans DAO. Yeah, the jeans style. There you go. <laughs> you have full kind of supply chain access to the jeans producers, right? Exactly. So this is, this is the dream, yeah. Now some of our listeners are going to be writing us asking, wait, wait, I heard about the jeans style. Tell me about it. Tell me more. <laughs> I want to learn how to get into it. How do I contribute? No, are there any specific ones, though, that, uh, that you can mention that you're working on or that you've announced recently? You mean partnerships? Yes. On recent partnerships, we've worked with a lot of more DeFi-heavy projects as this is really interesting to us, uh, would we also talk about once you get kind of these commitment NFTs, these promises, then you can have them flow through all of DeFi. So we've worked with kind of insurance projects, kind of decentralized exchanges, as well as DeFi wallets to allow people to interact with these things. Then a major partnership for us is that we're kind of closely aligned with Ocean Protocol, because kind of data is a major part of commerce and thinking about kind of how can you go from the current state, which is you have no control over your data, to uh, the user being in control of how to monetize that data and if they want to monetize their kind of preference data and commerce data in general. And then we've announced a partnership with Decentraland for what we're doing there with exchanging kind of real world things in the metaverse 
and looking into how can we integrate that to make it more easy for people building in Decentraland to enable this, this exchange taking place in whatever environment and in event space they're building. So you guys aren't busy at all, I see. <laughs> so Jonas, how do you, what metrics do you pay attention to? We talked a little bit earlier about return rates and that type of stuff. Like, what are you looking for in your role as, as head of strategy in terms of driving future decisions on whether to go left or right or straight? So actually, right now we have the first version of the protocol built, and we have some nice demos. And then are really working with what we're calling metaverse commerce for the first use case. So actually, we don't have any, we haven't deployed on mainnet yet. So we don't have any usage going on. We did some user testing, though, and kind of giving a sense for how intuitive is the system. And what we discovered there is kind of how can we make it as intuitive and easy, because the game theory can be a little complex to, to get your head around. What we're kind of pre-launching something, really looking into how can we make this really convenient and easy to, to use as well as to understand. Because the game theory is interesting in that sense that game theory always relies on that concept of rational behavior, right? And we all know we're all ourselves often not acting, acting rationally. And so uh, there's an interesting part there that the game theory works out really well if both parties also believe uh, that the other party is behaving honestly. So if you have basically two confused people making a transaction and, and really kind of acting, acting erratic, that's going to get to a bad state. So we're thinking about kind of how can we make this easy to understand and how can we make it kind of convenient to use right now? Yeah, it's like if two people get in an accident, there's like a hundred different permutations of how they respond to the fact that their cars collide and there's damage, right? Yeah, it's these edge cases that you then still probably want um, some decentralized core to escalate to, right? If you have a really complicated or weird situation that somebody could still kind of escalate it to kind of a human arbitrator if it's really necessary so that you resolve these so that in the end you can really be sure that you can't get scammed basically right or or nothing too bad can happen hey man so let's take a moment and look beyond boson protocol and when you look at the landscape man what are the nft projects or platforms have yet to be formed that have formed or maybe just out there in concept that you think are going to be the game-changing ones, or what's one in particular uh, that you could share with our listeners from someone that's such an insider into the industry? So I think in general in this space, it's interesting to see how most NFT marketplaces go from being marketplaces to now going for being protocols, right? So you see that with Rarible or Foundation that now shift to trying to make the marketplace more decentralized. So giving users control of curation, all these things. I think this is kind of exciting in general. And then the real forefront, I think there are some, for instance, Metafactory is one of, one of kind of these decentralized fashion DAO, DAO projects working right now, as well as projects like digital fashion projects, I think are really interesting. And I think are kind of the, the next thing that we, that we can expect some good adoption from. So the fabricant there or, or artifact really pioneering this idea of these digital fashion NFTs, and then you also have kind of some AR use case, some Instagram filter to wear them, so on. So I think this kind of NFT projects, and then then kind of the idea idea of IP is a future one that's going to be interesting. So 
Trent McConaughey from Ocean had this interesting article about how could you represent IP on chain, like music IP, for instance, through kind of a combination of NFTs and ERC-20s. And so then you can imagine once you really start to tackle this music industry, because it's digitally native anyway, you can imagine kind of music label DAOs and people people doing Kickstarter campaigns or basically doing a kind of ICO for their next album um, masters, right? And all these kind of fun things. So I think IP is a, a major one also being solved by, by NFTs. Yeah, I mean, I think Opulus is going to do something like what you just described. They're in the process of coming out and you mentioned digital fashion. We had Emma Jane McKinnon at Digital Acts on and that was a great conversation. We also have Luxo coming up um, in a few weeks. So these are all topics that are near and dear to us as, as you know, I think e-commerce is a very obvious use case for NFTs. And, and I think it may become ubiquitous within both the metaverse and, you know, normal physical goods within several years. I totally agree. And I think it's, it's funny, I, I, I actually started out working at Luxo. So I was uh, the first employee there. And I remember in like 2019, we're really heavy on, on saying that for blockchain to go mainstream, kind of all these fun NFT use cases are the way to go. And I think people just wouldn't believe it, right? Everybody was laser focused on DeFi and all these finance applications. So I'm really happy to also see the work there with digital fashion and so on. So this, that this kind of mainstream use cases, kind of what we call like uh, fun use cases for blockchain, they're not just kind of finance, which is more boring, to be honest. It just made me really happy to see that this whole NFT ecosystem exploded over the last, last year. And I think Luxo is going to be great to talk to. Fabian and Marjorie have some, some great expertise in this, this area. Yeah, it's been a fun journey, man. And it's been great you know, hearing more about Boson and yourself and, and what you all are working on, the industry at large. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better uh, and some of your perspectives personally. You guys ready to, uh, to dive in on some edge quick hitters? What do you say? Let's do it. All right, sure. cool. So as a quick reminder, Edge Quick Hitters are a fun and quick way to get to know you a little better. There are 10 questions and we're looking for short one or a few word responses, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. Ready to dive in? Yeah. All right. So number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Oh, I, I recently uh, thought of this because of the European uh, soccer tournament. I think it's probably like it's Realistically, it's probably candy, but what I like it to be is kind of soccer stickers, right? Panini stickers that then you would collect and put together. And I see projects now doing that as NFT. So I would, would think that's probably like the first real thing I, I bought as a kid. Yeah. Nice. Love it. Yeah. And condolences to, to uh, Germany on their loss. Tough one. Number two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Probably flea market stuff. But I also also used eBay pretty early on. So so I remember my, my dad helped me as a kid to kind of buy and and resell Nintendo DS games and, and Wii games and so on. So probably kind of get games and, and toys. Yeah. Nice. Arbitrage opportunities, I'm sure. It wasn't really that, but that, that would have also been great. Kind of <laughs> Seven-year-old kind of getting yeah. the arbitrage opportunities. Number three, what is the most recent thing you've purchased? The most recent kind of bigger thing, like the honest response would be like an energy drink and some cigarettes. But <laughs> major thing recently has been, been a projector to watch some nice movies on my walls. That has been a good investment. 
I feel like all three of those things go together though, right? I could see it. Yeah. Sigs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Red Bull, projector. <laughs> That's perfect. Soccer. We're getting a nice view of Jonas on his downtime. <laughs> yeah, it's 11 p.m. for Jonas. And um, we just hope you get to sleep sometime before uh, five in the morning after this podcast from all that Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, it's not too much. It's just kind of to, to keep you awake. Uh, during, they always say it's hours. just to take the edge off, you know. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we just created something new called microdosing on Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. All right, brother. Hey, number four. Uh, what's the most recent thing you sold? I haven't sold anything in a while. I'm fundamentally holding all my possession, holding everything. <laughs> so, um, really, nothing. Nothing comes to mind. Okay. All good. So, uh, number f- a true holder, yeah, in every sense. Number five. What is your most prized possession? At the top of my head, I would, besides like the usual things that you just need to, to kind of survive. I would say I'm just really happy to have the couch I'm having. It's like that's the way to take the edge off. Then, right? You get the Red Bull, you get the cigarettes, you get the the projector with the football, and then you lay down on your couch. So, so I would say it's probably the best thing I, I have here. That's that's functional. Yeah, let me get that Man, model I number. We, I wish we were hanging out in person with Jonas. We could just like chill. <laughs> Come to Berlin. It's going to be fun. <laughs> that's like a good time, man. All right, number six. So then if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? I'm going to go for something random. I thought a fun thing to do would be to get kind of a lot of early crypto investors bridge people together in a DAO like Pleaser DAO and then buy up kind of a real world company. Let's say, for instance, like Art Auction House. And then you kind of turn this into a DAO and kind of auction everything off they have as NFTs and so on. So I think that would be, if I had all the money in the world, I think that would be a really fun thing to do. That sounds awesome. I got to interview People Pleaser during DeFi Summit a couple of weeks ago. Was a fun interview. Yeah, you should probably. I think they would be the the people to do it. I think. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we'll get them on the show soon. Very cool. Okay, so number seven, shifting gears a little bit. If you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? I'm in my early twenties, so so it's kind of pretentious spot to give advice. I think kind of taking personality traits. So I think t- taking risk is a good one. That's at least has, has worked out well for me. So, so uh, taking some calculated risk, that's also what I heard from a lot of people in this space, kind of that just jumped head in into kind of this area. And so I think kind of just trusting your gut, taking some risk is generally good advice. Right on. I'll throw self-awareness in there for you as well, man. That's awesome. Number eight, if you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, what would it be? Personality traits. I think it's kind of a special type of ignorance. I think kind of this generation or my generation is really because like so much is happening all at the same time that you have like all these international news constantly flashing up. It's really hard to, to really care about something because it's, you get so detached from these news. So I think eliminating this overflow of impressions that you get using using social media. So I think eliminating that would be would be a good thing. Yeah, man. Very insightful. Much appreciated. 
Okay, lightening it up a little bit. Number nine, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I actually just checked out the podcast, uh, going through some some other episodes, getting my my kind of understanding, like staying up to date with with what's happening in the NFT space. So uh, in, in preparation for getting a feel of, of, of what's going on here. Cool. Which one did you listen to? I listened to the last one. I don't, I honestly don't know who was on, but I listened also to, to the hot takes. Yeah. And I remember somebody. You maybe listened to Chemical X or, or the shittiest NFT drop. Maybe those are two of the most. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, buddy. All right, last one. Easy. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Uh, probably going to go to bed and, and get the caffeine to, to slow down. As Josh said, it's, it's uh, midnight here, so, so going to get some sleep probably. I still want you to send us a selfie of yourself sitting on the couch having a cigarette, drinking the Red Bull, watching it. And then we're going to turn this into kind of the thumbnail on YouTube. That's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's Ed's quick hitters, man. Thanks. Thanks for playing with us. Appreciate it. Uh, I think we have some hot topics to dive into. You guys ready? Yeah, let's hit it. Sure. First on the list, uh, World Wide Web Source Code is the latest NFT for sale. So apparently uh, bids for a NFT of the original source code, the World Wide Web, which was written by inventor Tim Berners-Lee, not Al Gore. Didn't he claim <laughs> to invent the internet? Anyways, the bids have soared to 2.8 million from an opening price of 1,000 with two days to go until Sotheby's auction ends. Interesting that it's Sotheby's auction and interesting they're on top of uh, getting some cash out of these auctions, huh? I think an interesting extension of just that fact is, you know, I think what we've learned from being behind the scenes with some of these NFT sales is like, you got to have a whole movement around any one of these particular items in order for it to, you know, be making the news and, and commanding a large sum. It's, it's, it's not your kind of a neighborhood creator posting their guitar, uh, acoustic guitar song um, on OpenSea or, or, or someplace uh, public, and then everybody goes crazy about it. There's a lot of movement that happens behind these things. PR, the platforms that are selling them, are supporting the marketing around it. And then, you know, you get an organization like Sotheby's involved. They want to uphold their reputation. So, And as, as far as a big movement's concerned, I don't know if we have a, a bigger uh, inflection point in our lives than the, than the web, you know, and what it's done over the last, you know, what, what is it now, 40 years or so, 30 years that it's been there. But man, a little different from when, uh, when he wrote that code, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think with these, with these sales, it's almost like the people having kind of a Mona Lisa uh, or Pollock in in the basement and just then coming out to sell it, right? It's kind of kind of all also with all these old uh, memes. Like uh, now you have the tool to kind of monetize that that notoriety. Yeah, totally, man. Second item here, another NFT auction through Sotheby's. They're they're going for it. Um, Jay Z auctioning Reasonable Doubt NFT. That's uh, interesting. I have I, I don't remember Sotheby's doing something specifically musical before. Yeah, I don't think so. But they did touch on a previous hot topic just within the last couple of weeks, where uh, Dame Dash, who was Jay Z's co-founder of Rockefeller Records, actually tried to sell the same thing 
And he's like a third, he owns a third of it. He does own the rights to it, but they blocked him. Jay-Z actually blocked him in court from doing it. So they shut him down. And then with literally in a couple of weeks, uh, spun this one up and are doing it. And I don't know if this was in the works before it probably was. And that's probably why they tried to head him off at the pass on this thing. But now you got Jay-Z basically out there doing this. And to me, it just, it elevates this whole question around IP and ownership of IP and in this space, how kind of wonky that can get and how messy that can get in cases like this, where you have like multiple owners of something and different layers, different rights associated with it. And also, you know, somebody that's got a lot of power and money in Jay-Z that can kind of make something happen pretty dang quickly. And it comes with a lot of community support. So pretty interesting. Yeah. And that, that raises the topic. We haven't covered super directly, but hope to in the future very soon on the podcast. It's just kind of What's it like to be a lawyer in this NFT space? You know, uh, is it as complicated as it seems, uh, or is it all just a really relatively simple extension of you know the law that we have in place and just applying it to you know digital possessions? Hope to explore that a little bit deeper on a future episode in the works. <laughs> um, next headline here: Coin Fund set to launch new investment vehicle for NFTs. So doubling down on the non-fungible token market with a new investment vehicle, head of portfolio growth, Vanessa Grellet, revealed the most recent episode of The Scoop. The, it's a way for investors to bet on the overall market and as a development studio for NFT companies. Very interesting how this is integrating with all sorts of places. You know, these these are guys that did a big round with uh, with Rarible. I think they invested in, and, and I think they're looking forward well beyond just the hype of uh, the collectibles cycle that we're in, and 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 kind of I think maybe on the tail end of in some ways in terms of the values we were seeing before. Not that it's going to go anywhere because collectibles are a really important part of this, but there's so much more. That's such a bigger story for where things can go. We talked a lot about it in the episode. You know, what's the next frontier of digital fashion and and all these different functional use cases, bridging the digital physical divide, all these things. I mean, what we're seeing now, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And for me, when I see news like this, it just reminds me of how early we really are right now. And funds with vision are really supporting what's going to be the next wave of probably mind-blowing projects around NFTs. These guys have made some very interesting bets already. Akala is on the website, Balancer, uh, Coinlist. So, Definity, we talked about earlier in the show. So, these guys are, are definitely looking pretty far into the future. And they have, you know, NFTX, they invested in that sort of, which is kind of like a mutual fund of NFTs, but a little bit more than that. So, I, I think they're really ahead of things. It'll be interesting to see what they do here. Yeah. And on that note, it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm sure we all have our kind of parallel lives here being, you know, involved in the, the crypto and NFT space, and then sort of our friends and family that are outside of it, right? You, know, so you start talking about NFTs and how important they are, and, and you kind of get the glassy eyed look and <laughs> they don't really know what's going on. But it's fascinating, you know, just listening to episodes of other podcasts with Justin Bannon, the you know, founder of, of Boson, you know, Talking about the long-term future of this, uh, it, it's, it's people like like you guys are really heavily invested in this, Jonas. And uh, knowing that that Justin, you know, went from you know scaling a business from what I think it was like fifty million a year revenue to something like a billion <laughs> uh, rather rapidly, 
you got to kind of trust your gut on, I guess my neighbor might not know as much, <laughs> as much about this as you guys. <laughs> I think there's kind of this, we're really scratching the surface of the, the use of kind of NFTs as a technology in itself. So this kind of reminds me of uh, right now, and it's a very valid kind of, I think, valid use case, like uh, just having kind of, let's say, an art NFT that links to some, gives you a claim on some painting, right, on some digital artwork. But once you get kind of logic involved and these super more more dynamic things going, it's a little bit like what you've seen with, I think, uh, fungible tokens that started out with kind of these more um, more community-driven or meme-coin-driven things. Uh, even before Ethereum with colored coins, right? And then you get to kind of really complex things that people start to build around these ERC-20 tokens. And I think NFTs are going into like the similar direction where kind of the use, right? Kind of what you will be able to do with your digital fashion NFT or like radically change over the next kind of one or two years. Yeah, indeed. Next item on the headline list here, last item up for discussion. NFT-powered digital comic to let fans decide heroes' fates. Man, this sounds fun. I love this. And it's really much in the spirit of, of crypto and decentralization, creating a, a project where, you know, the fans kind of, they always are, are feeling like a part of something. Like that's sort of the definition of a fan, but to really take deeper role in, in what's going on, this it sounds really fun and cool. It goes to what you're just saying, Jonas. They're going to let people like choose like the digital fashion these characters will wear, whether they live or die over time. It really harkens back to to some of the like choose your own adventure type stories, along with some of the early engagement that the comics did. I think they reference in that article that like back in you know 1988, like DC Comics set up a, a telephone poll system to decide whether the guy that was the second character ever to wear the Robin costume should live or die. And people called in and they voted or whatever. And it turns out they actually voted for Robin to die. And uh, so the Joker killed him off and like in comic 428 or something. It was like really cool, like way to engage people. So we, we think about community and involvement and, you know, bringing the consumer together with the distributor of content, right? Making them one or bridging that gap. This is like so fun. I really dig this. I don't know why, but this is reminding me of a Actually, I think it was a podcast episode. Might have been This American Life. NHL, I don't know if anybody's ever familiar with this. NHL at one point let the fans vote on who was going to be in the All-Star game. You guys familiar with this story? And uh, yeah, they, they let the fans take take the lead a little bit. And they ended up kind of pulling this power play on the league because they're sort of upset with, with how things were working. And they voted this guy who you never would have put in the All-Star game. He was just kind of like the guy who was thought of like a meathead, you know, and not much finesse in, in what he was doing. And the guy himself, when he got into the All-Star game, he's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. You know? But it's a fascinating and it made for just a really awesome story, you know. And, and I, think he actually, I think he actually scored a goal in the game. And it was kind of like a really, a really fun thing going on. And this play comes up in a lot of different places. Like people want to feel ownership of the product, services, entertainment um, that they're involved with. And they'd almost rather see something ridiculous happen and know they have a say in it than, you know, have it go according to plan. Yeah, I mean, think about how much better the world would be if we got to vote on the ending of Game of Thrones. There would have been so much less uh, <laughs> grief and uh, remorse in the world. 
if they had done that and probably they would have made more money on whatever the sequel is if if we got a chance to vote um that was such a terrible ending but um it also reminds me of fan controlled football league which is a project that jeff and i are, are supporters of it's on twitch and you can basically join a team and then as the audience you get to choose the play that the the team performs next based on whatever whatever's happening in the game whatever you think they should do quarterback sneak bootleg you call the shots and i just think this is the co-creation time in our society where people want to have a voice and where they realize their attention matters and um the the right companies are going to do more of this type of stuff that um these guys are doing i think it's brilliant yeah, to your earlier point, Jonas, again, which uh, was very astute about kind of growing up in the area era that you ha- have with, you know, all these different voices coming from all these different directions, trying to sort through it all, trying to have an opinion or, or not have an opinion so it doesn't sort of mess with your head. I think there can be, when you have sort of a leadership, you know, cast in society, this kind of idea that these people uh, don't have a right to make the decisions because they won't take responsibility for it, right? And I think this really interesting play of decentralization is, well, maybe if you give them the right to make decisions, they will begin to take that responsibility, right? And it'll be easier to feel connected to the outcome of things if you actually feel like your say matters. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And I think there are all these examples of a company being like, let's have the viewers vote, right? And then the viewers just like troll them into whatever funny thing. But I think trolling is probably like a one-shot game that if you would do it kind of on the daily, the trolls would kind of lose the fun of constantly trying to vote for the most ridiculous stuff. So I totally agree. If you, if you give them real responsibility and impact like consistently, then you will probably also get good decisions made by the crowd. Yeah, definitely. By the way, that, that project is uh, called uh, Interpop is running that project. It's a subsidiary of Tezos. Uh, so not surprised Tezos is um, you know, behind something awesome like this. Very cool. Well, guys, I uh, think that's it for Hot Topics, yeah? Yeah, All that right. was fun. Well, listen, it's been awesome, Jonas. So so pumped that you were able to, uh, to join us, uh, even as late as it is over there. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and, and the projects you're working on? Social handles, any websites they should go to? Yeah, so on, on Twitter, which is at Boson Protocol, our website, bosonprotocol.io and there you can find so we have a discord a telegram group to really engage and we have some kind of interesting community initiatives there probably in the coming weeks we will have kind of a decentraland event and so on so yeah just just uh, follow us on twitter and kind of to check out our our channels awesome okay we've reached the outer limit at the edge of nfts for today thanks for exploring with us we've got space for more adventures on this starship so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better how go to itunes right now rate us say something cool and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole also be sure to tune in next week for guest max song ceo of carbon base for an engaging discussion thanks again crew cool thanks for having me this has been a lot of fun